Solumedrol, for those recently diagnosed, oh, what a ride that is. I would be fine one moment and crying the next. I would hear a song on the radio that I'd heard a bazillion times since I was a teenager. It's just, why am I crying at that? <laughs> you know? Everyone has a story to tell, and we invite you to join us for the Multiple Sclerosis Diagnosis Journey podcast and listen to these unique stories. Greetings, everyone. This is the MS Diagnosis Journey podcast, and my guest is Scott James, who has the good fortune of living in the nice environment of San Diego, California. Hi, Scott, and welcome. Hello, how are you doing today? Although we do have rain here today, it's 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 freaking the city out. Freeways are all jammed up and everything. We just don't, we're not a hardy bunch out here in San Diego when it comes to the weather. Well, you must be a hardy person though that you're still standing because you went through finding out your diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. And I'm just wondering if you could share a little bit of your story of uh, what was wrong with you, what sent you to the doctor, and what was that process like for you? Yeah. God, when I hear everybody else's stories, I, I feel like a pretty lucky guy in that you know, you hear about everybody, it takes years, months, everything to, to get diagnosed. And for me, I, I got to think maybe it was a couple of months I started noticing I was dropping tools and I was doing, you know, I was slower than usual. And I kind of attributed that to age more than anything else. But then one day on a job site, I started, I was dropping a lot of tools and I started noticing my hands were going numb. And within about an, an hour or so, my arms started going numb. So I phoned my wife and she was concerned and said, you know, everybody starts thinking heart attack or something at that point. So I went to uh, urgent care and he kind of looked me over and said, well, you probably pinched a nerve. In your neck or something like that. So here's some muscle relaxers. Uh, go home. This was on like a Thursday, I believe, or Friday. And he said, just go home. And if it gets worse, you know, give us a call. So long about Sunday, it had turned into full-blown, could not feel my arms or hands. I could move them, but you didn't want me picking up any cups or anything for sure. And I started to get that MS hug that I had no idea what MS hug was at the time. So my wife and I went down to the ER on Monday morning, and my diagnosis actually came after, oh, God, it was about 10 or 12 hours in the ER, and it, a lot of doctors coming in with a lot of interns with flip charts and notes, and I was getting pretty frustrated because it, it was getting worse, and I, it, I felt like I couldn't get it through to the doctors what was going on, and after about 10 or 12 hours... I, I was trying to explain to the, one of the docs, I seriously, I cannot feel my hands at all. And he looked at me like, well, you're moving them. Well, yeah, I'm moving them, but I can't feel them. And to right. get the point across, I'm not, a, I'm not a guy that I'm pretty peaceful Buddha, you know, that's what my friends call me. And, but I was so frustrated in the moment that I just took my hand and I, I smacked it back into the wall that was behind me in the bed fairly hard and made a nice little sound, which helped my, my case a little bit there. But I said, you know what? I, I heard that, but I didn't feel it. 
didn't feel a damn thing. That's where wow. I'm at right now. In the back of my, I looked at the back of my hand. So they started looking at my hand, like maybe you broke your hand. And it's like, look, I'm not cared. I don't care about my hand in the moment. Um, so about half hour later, this my the, who wound up being my neurologist walked in, Doctor Rawat. Uh, if you're ever in San Diego and you need MS stuff, boy, she was sharp. And she walked in, kind of looked me up and down, and pulled a safety pin out. And started poking me with it. And I thought, oh, this is low tech as hell. This is just another, you know, what? I could poke myself with a pin all day. But she kind of looked at me and looked me up and down and kind of matter of fact, just kind of said, mm, you know, I, I think this is probably MS. Which I, I had no clue at the time. MS. Did you, were you familiar with what MS was or did you know anyone else? Not a lick. And I asked my wife, she was sitting down next to me, I go, MS. And we both looked at each other and I said, that's like that Michael J. Fox thing, right? Which I knew from watching those interviews, that's a bad scene. And she goes, no, no, no. And then the doctor kind of stepped in. She goes, no. She goes, that's Parkinson's. MS is a little bit, it's a little bit different. She goes, I need to, we need to get you an MRI. And she goes, it's presenting itself enough, I guess, in her, in her view. She goes, I'm going to get you on a treatment for the next five days while we get the results of the MRI and all that. And I'll bring you in and we'll figure it out. So off I went. It's just kind of like, oh, and, you know, I did the thing that they all say, do not go home and get on the Internet. Well, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I made a living fixing things. And I thought if I'm broke, I need to find out everything about it. So I got on the internet and an hour later, I was just, you know, like, no, this ain't me. This no fucking way. So I stopped looking. I'm like, there's just no way in hell. All I saw were with web pages of people in wheelchairs and stories about people shitting themselves and not being able to walk and, you know, it's like, no way in hell. That's me. Yeah. So I put that aside real quick. And I started thinking, because I'm a guy that fixes things, I thought, well, you know, I, this, she's wrong. This got to be a brain tumor. So I started Googling brain tumors, you know, and, <laughs> and actually hoping, because I thought in my little pea brain, that's easy. Cut a hole in my head, get the tumor out of there, go back to fixing things. You know, it's, it's a, that's a beginning, middle and end to a story. But this MS thing, I didn't see any ends to anything there that I felt were enjoyable. So that was my rooting. I, I got introduced to the Solumedrol train that week and oh, what a ride that is. Oh yeah. By five days of pure <laughs> sleeplessness oh and joy. And I would be fine one moment and crying the next. You know, or I would hear a song on the radio. I had to turn the radio off because I would hear a song on the radio that I'd heard a bazillion times since I was a teenager. And all of a sudden it had some kind of goofy, sad meaning to it. And I'd find myself crying. You know, it's like, what? What is going on here? This is just a solumedrol for those recently newly diagnosed. You know, that's a train ride. It's a joy. It works, but you also got to know what you're facing. And I think one thing we don't tell people a lot when they're going on to that five-day course of steroids is what to expect, what the possibilities are. Besides, oh, you may be a little restless, so you may not want to sleep, but there's a whole lot more to it than that. 
oh, there's emotions that run. I mean, I, stepping away from everything, the TV, uh, you know, it's November of 2006. So that's when all the Christmassy kind of commercials start and everything. And all of a sudden a Hallmark commercial or an ad would come on. And I'd just be sitting there and just all of a sudden be teared up like, what is wrong with me here? You know, why am I just this ball of emotions and my wife, every, the kids would look at me like, what's going on? So I find I've been on it several times in, in you know, since 2005 and we've kind of got it down to a science now where I know for the first day or two, I'm okay. But that's the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh day. Sometimes I pretty much just kind of put myself in a room, make sure I don't watch anything sad on TV or the radio gets turned off, you know, cause it's just whatever happens is going to bring out either very sad or very like nothing violent. You know, you hear people yeah. roid rage, you know, I've never had anything like that. It's just more, my God, why am I crying? Why am I crying at that? <laughs> you, know? you need to keep the box of tissues close by, right? That's what totally. you're saying. So during this, besides the solumedrol and the MRI, did they also do a lumbar puncture? Yeah, that was. Uh, so a week of the solumedrol, she brings me in on that following Monday. She's got the results from the MRI. And again, the whole time I'm hoping, I'm rolling the dice here. I'm praying that she found a brain tumor or something. Because that, again, that's easy in my little world. So we're sitting down in the office. She puts the thing up on the screen there. And, uh, you know, not only was it one little dot, it was about, I think at that time, 12 or 14 little dots all over the place. And she said, you know, yeah, you, you have multiple sclerosis. And, you know, a word that even today I have a hard time spelling. So I just say MS all the time. and. I was just, you know, kind of dumbfounded and kind of numb, not from an MS numb, but just brain numb. I didn't hear a lot of what she said, I remember, in that moment, because I was just in full-on panic mode. And the only thing I remember saying was, I couldn't even look at my wife who was sitting next to me because I thought, I flash back on that day sometimes and I still get kind of... I, all I kept thinking was that hour, two hours, and the few times I went back to it through that week, that this is not a good thing. And the only thing I could think of saying to her was looking over saying, I don't want this for you. E, boy, it's like I'm on the Sully Medrow right now thinking back on that day. Um, that was the only profound thing I remember saying in that moment is look to her and said, I don't want this for you. Um, because that to me, the whole thing just equated to, Oh, I'm going to be a burden. And I, no, I'm not that guy. I'm that guy that, you know, something's broke. Call me, I'll fix it. You know, that's me. And then it kind of, once my wits got back about me, she said, she mentioned something about, well, there's a definitive way she goes, I can do an LP and, you know, we'll find out for sure. And in that moment, I was still fighting hard for the, for the brain tumor. It sounds, it sounds real stupid, but I'm like, you know, got something that can open my skull up and, you know, get it the hell out and be done with it. And had I realized that LP stood for spinal tap and how 
when we talk about an archaic procedure, I mean, they pretty much bend you over, put a spike in your back and drain you like a tree. You know, and I'm kind of, I'm not big on needles. I remember saying that and she looked at me and she, I have a couple of tattoos on my arm. She goes, my, my little neurologist, she goes, you have tattoos. How can you be, you know, she goes, we'll just do this and we'll get the definitive. So I'm like saying, fine, you betcha. It's, you know, let's do this. And then realize while I'm bent over on the table and with a spike sticking out my back, about halfway into that, I thought, yeah, no, I don't really need to know that bad. I'll take this on faith, <laughs> get this thing out of my back. And to her credit, she's, she stands, if she tells you she's five foot tall, the neurologist that I have, she's lying. She was like a monkey up on my back telling me in a serious motion, you don't move anywhere at the moment. And if you have to, you need to tell me because I got to get this out of your back. And it, it scared the hell out of me. And I was like, well, okay, how much longer? <laughs> you know, she's like, oh, two more minutes. And that two minutes felt like an hour and a half. You know, it's funny hearing other people's exposure with the LP because mine was painless. I went out and I sat on a park bench and waited for my husband to come pick me up, but I never had a bit of problem. Matter of fact, my neurologist <laughs> yeah. had I, w- I was laughing and he said, that's great because that increases the pressure and your, your fluid flows faster. So, uh, yeah, it was Glad weird. I could help. Yeah, it was like, you know, so those stories for everyone are so different, their experiences. But uh, we do hear yeah. really bad things about that LP. And that's why I'd rather call it a lumbar puncture than a spinal tap because spinal tap is horror movies and scary things. So, yeah. <laughs> well, spinal tap to me was that funny movie about the band and stuff. But, right, uh, you know, I would have I'm a super simple guy and I always like to my brother is in the medical industry and he knows if I need to know a $3 word that I see on a report, I call him up and he's like, oh yeah, that's the, 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 it's like, well, they, you know, they should just say the, 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 not yeah. what, what they're trying to say. And my only issue with it, one was being scared with the spikes. To, uh, when I, when I got done and I saw how that spike, how big that thing was, <laughs> uh, you know, so it was more the fear, but then I, I'm, I'm kind of a melon head when it comes to, she told me, she goes, you got about 20, 30 minutes. She goes, when you go home, lay down. And she goes, you're going to have to lay down for six, eight hours. She goes, don't get up because you'll get a headache. And I thought, headache, you know, whatever. Came home, laid down about an hour later. I need something to drink here. And I got up and I got about halfway down the hallway and just dropped to my knees. Because I guess they pull that fluid out and your brain winds up sitting on your skull and it don't like that. So it, there's a headache. And I thought, oh, she wasn't bullshitting there. So I crawled back into bed and kind of, you know, wrote out the rest of the thing and thought, well, maybe I will have to start taking doctors a little bit more serious with what they say. <laughs> maybe now. they do know something after all. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe I don't know everything. So I should just take some things like, okay, fine. But that was the, the spinal tap. It, you know, it took her a few days, and she brought me back in the office, and you know, told me what was next in in my world. But all of that, you know, is time span of about seven to ten days, and 
again, when it goes back, when I hear people talking about their diagnosis and stuff, I think how frustrating could that have been to be sitting around for a year, two years, whatever, with doctors kind of guessing. I lucked out. I just talked for another interview where a woman was 22 years from her first episode till oh. finally getting a diagnosis. She's got the patience of something that I don't have. I, you know, I, I truly. At least you weren't being dismissed and told, oh, you're just stressed after they realized that you weren't kidding about your having no feeling in your hands, that they began to take you seriously and, and look for answers. So. Yeah, no, the, the first doctors that I saw that day weren't really, but they weren't, they weren't neurologists. They were ER docs, which are every bit as good as neurologists, but, you know, just not a specialty. And I just, I mean, I think back to that day and just luck of the draw. Why did this doctor happen to be the on-call neurologist that, that day? And she just kind of picked up on it after poking me a few times with a safety pin and hearing what I was telling her. And she just came up with the whole MS thing. I think you touched on the thing there that the good doctors hear what we're saying, that they listen to our history and they pay attention to what you're saying and symptoms and things that are affecting you. If you're saying, hey, in my job, I have to pick up tools and I can't feel the tools. That's a, that's a problem. So, But that's a history, too, of di- that doctors often gather in this diagnosis process. Would you have any particular advice for people who think they might have MS and would be on this journey? Stay off the internet, at least at first. I know that's a, you know, that uh, giving somebody advice about what I did, you know, it's, it's kind of natural the way the internet is today, but there's just so a ton of, of information out there and it, it put me into overload. It, it really did at first. I just had to kind of, I felt I would have been better just to sit back and kind of think about it in my own head without the input of a lot of the, the MS sites that are out there. There's some absolute drop dead good ones, great ones, people that are doing really good. But if you just Google it, boy, you're going to get some goofy stuff coming up and none of it at first glance, looks great. But here I am, well, it's from 2005. Math isn't my thing, but uh, from 2005 to now, that's how long I've had it. And, you know, short of losing sight in one eye and having a lot of little goofy things, I'm not that person in the wheelchair that you'll find on the internet when you first start looking for it. And then you really do have to be kind of an advocate for yourself to the docs. Like you'd mentioned how some of the docs in the ER that night, I think it's how I, maybe it was how I was trying to present it and it was being presented in a way that they were like, not unsympathetic to, but it did go back to, Hey, I I made a life for myself using these things on the ends of my arms and I'm fairly good at it. And I'm fairly concerned that that's not going to be happening anymore, you know? And if you, if you feel like they're just not getting it, figure out a better way to, to say it or, or find a doctor who will, who will listen because I, I super lucked out that Dr. Rawat was the on-call neurologist that night. I, I could not be any luckier, but a lot of people aren't lucky. 
I really appreciate you being willing to share this story because I think you have a lot in there for people to learn from. And uh, I just would like to tell our listeners, hey, they, you've been listening to the raw and real story from Scott James on his MS diagnosis. And I hope that you'll subscribe to this podcast and listen and be ready for uh, future episodes because we've got lots of great guests like Scott sharing their story. So thank you for joining us. And especially thank you, Scott, for taking the time to share your story with us today. Thank you for doing what you're doing and getting the word out there from people that, that have MS, because that's the other thing. We all see the commercials on TV with, you know, oh, take this MX drug and you'll be like, oh, you'll be skipping through the park and everything will be Skittles and rainbows. And boy, it ain't, it ain't always, I look at those things and just kind of laughs like, geez, when do I get that? You know, what drug yeah. do I need to take for that? I've taken that drug and I wasn't skipping through the park when I got done. So it's, it's real and hearing it from, from people, I, I think that helps. That's helped me the most through this. It, it really has. And I, th I think people hearing your story, Scott, is going to really help others as well. So, again, thank you very much and have a great day, everyone. You too. Everybody have fun today. Do some laughing. <laughs>